Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. All right, I'm going to be honest and upfront with all of you in this first class. This first class has stuff to do with grumbling, but the topic is not grumbling. A little bit of a bait and switch on you guys. So the, the book that we're using is, and you don't have to have it to be a part of the class, but it's The Grumbler's Guide to Giving Thanks by Dustin Crow. It's a good book. Uh, the problem with it is uh, it's a, a nine-chapter book, and we have 13 weeks to go through. I, I'm a history major. I have horrible at math, but I know that that math does not add up. So what I decided would be beneficial to everybody is that if we went over the quarterly focus just in the first week, it bleeds into it's why we're doing this, this uh, class in general. However, it'd be good for us to have that just that high level view of what personal holiness is. So we, we started doing these quarterly focuses. Um, Bryce, forgive me if I'm wrong. I think it was like two or three years ago, two years ago. Yeah, so this would be the end of our second year of doing these quarterly focus. This quarter, we're going to be going over personal holiness, so things like the podcast, Sunday school classes. Um, yeah, pretty much everything is going to be slowly focused on personal holiness. If you remember last quarter, we went over uh, prayers, which I don't know why I blanked out on that, and then before that we went over Holy Spirit. We've just been going over specific topics. So this, like I said, this quarter is personal holiness. If you're at the men's breakfast yesterday, we got to hear Dalton Selvage give a really good explanation of what a personal holiness is. And I hope that this class doesn't confuse anything uh, when you, from what you learned yesterday. Uh, the following two weeks after this, since again, nine weeks of the book, there's just, that doesn't add up to 13. So this will be week 10. We'll have an overall review week at the end of the, the class, but then next week and the week after that, we're going to ha- be going over a high view of God and a right view of man to understand why we don't grumble, why we're thankful in our life for all things, is having that high view of God and that right view of man. If we don't have that set, forget grumbling for a little bit. All of your life is just going to be off kilter. It's all going to be off track if you don't understand that we need to have a high view of who God is. So next week, we're going to be going over a high view of God. The week after that, we'll go over a high, or not a high view, a right view of man, which is not a high view of man. Uh, these topics are not just fillers, though. I don't want you to come to this class and think that you can just throw this away at the end of it. Like I said before, this bleeds into what grumbling is, having this understanding of what personal holiness is. These three classes, like I said, are not in the book, but they're vital to understand why we as believers are to be thankful and actually are forbidden from being grumblers. So what's the point of today's class? Today's class is personal holiness. To put it, or we are all called as believers in Christ to fully commit our lives to him. We're never called to be passive in our walk or to go about our lives as we once did. In fact, we're called to not live as we once did. To put it another way, personal holiness is not an option for those of us that are in Christ. We see in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So what we see in that Matthew passage is that this is not an option. If we're going to come to Christ, Christ has called us out of our darkness, we're going to commit ourselves to living a life of holiness, then we need to deny ourselves and take up our crosses. If we don't do that and we still strive after the things of the world, like it's saying here, we may gain the entire world, but we'll lose our soul. And what does that leave us with? It leaves us with something we can't take. It leaves us damned to hell, to be honest with you. We see in Matthew 10, 38 through 39, along the same lines, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The calling that we have been called to as believers in Christ is not an option. God knows us. He predestined us. He calls us. He justifies us, and he glorifies us. All of those things are indication that we're not our own, and we now need to live these personal lives of holiness for God's sake. I was going to leave this to the very end, but I, I think that there's definitely a danger in looking deeply at personal holiness because a lot of personal holiness is the things that we do. Like we, we have this focus on what God's done for us. He justifies us. He glorif- he's glorified in it. He does all these things for us. But personal holiness is very much, okay, what, what's our steps after that? And the danger in that is to get bogged down in this understanding that uh, it's a lot of work, but where our minds often go is sinful, because we're still a sinful fallen man after that point. We've been brought to God, and we're working our way through that sin, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're putting off a lot of that sin. However, what often creeps into our minds is that because we're doing this work, we've somehow earned it ourselves, and we can't, we can't fall back into that sin. Just because we're doing the work doesn't mean that that's what's gotten us this salvation or that's what's making us holy. We're doing this work out of a love and obedience for God. If the Holy Spirit hadn't indwelled us, even if we are doing this work, it's for nothing. We cannot gain anything through this. It's just out of an obedience and a love for the Lord. So personal holiness is also not easy. If we think about it, there is very little in this life that is truly easy. We may benefit from the work of people that have come before us, but at the same point, the things that we do and enjoy were made through hard work. So who here enjoys reading a good book? How long did it take you to learn how to read? You may not even remember it, but it took a while. It took a while. I love my wife, and the more that I see her do homeschooling, the more I realize how amazing of a woman she is. One, I, there's no way I would have the patience to do that. No, no way whatsoever. But on top of that, being able to see the joy that she gets in seeing our kids learn how to read, learn to read these books, putting together words, watching Reese. I, I love that girl to death. She's like me, just remade. But watching her learn to read and seeing her just like fight her way through learning those words and things like that, I realized that, you know, it's a blessing to know how to read. And it's hard work to learn to read. How many of you enjoy a good meal? For some of us, you don't want me behind the stove. However, I get to enjoy the hard work that my wife puts together and enjoy that meal. It takes work to make your meal. 
Some of us might have in the past or still might enjoy video games. It takes a long time to learn how to master a video game. It also takes a long time to develop that video game. It just doesn't get popped out in a factory. You have to actually put the work into making it. Some of us like to work out. First off, it takes a really long time to even enjoy working out in the first place. Like, I'm still not even there. Um, however, there's also many days that you wake up after a workout and you think, man, I really shouldn't have done that. Like, it's hard work learning how to work out and enjoying workout. Also, music. Mike, how long does it take to actually master an instrument? Two hours. I am, I am proved wrong. But it takes a long time, despite what Mike says. You've had, I'm an enormous failure in life. But it takes a long time to learn an instrument. And to, for those that really enjoy music, you can see the passion they have behind it and the hard work they put into getting to the point that they can actually enjoy that and just sit down and play a tune. The same thing can be said about our personal holiness. Our very nature as sinners makes it very hard to live lives of personal holiness. It's just against our nature to want to do good things. This is why the Holy Spirit has indwelled us to make that happen. We see in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So we see hope is not a natural thing for us. We get that hope through the Holy Spirit. We also see in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring your remembrance, or bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we see it's kind of a big indication there that even the things that we learn, we often have to remember through the Holy Spirit. Like it's not a natural thing to retain these good things, let alone learn these good things. So we, we are called to work out our salvation, called to discipline ourselves, which is a direct indication that it is not easy. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have also obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not an indication that we are the ones that work towards our salvation or that we, we work these things out so that we can have salvation. What that's saying is that now that we're in salvation, you continually work out that salvation. You continually grow in your personal holiness to know and love God more. We see in 1 Timothy 4.8 that for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is value in every way as it holds promises or as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. If you really dive into that, that verse, that's just a beautiful verse. Like personal holiness, this, this working out of your salvation and also working out into godliness, it holds promise for the present life, so we benefit from it in our current life, in this fallen, broken world, we still benefit from it. But unlike working out, trying to get strong, trying to train for a marathon, anything like that. Unlike those things, working out your salvation and growing in godliness, that's for this life and for the life to come. Personal holiness is also not quick. Something we need to understand first 
is that personal holiness is a lifelong pursuit. Unlike most of the things in our lives, personal holiness is not instant. The problem with that is that we so very badly want everything in our life to be instant. This is even more of a problem as, as technology ramps up faster and faster. Everything now is just instant. Like how often do you pull something up on your phone and if it's not there, the second you hit that button, you start feeling that angst grow inside of you. If you think back oh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like you were, you were happy if a web page even loaded, let alone instantly. How many things, this is, group, this is first group participation, so let's, let's get hyped up. How many things in your life can you think of that are instant? And I'll give you some hints. So I'm thinking things like instant oatmeal, instant mashed potatoes. Surprise, surprise, all of mine go to food, instant rice. <laughs> what else in your life is instant or designed for that instant gratification? Your phone? Mm-hmm. Amazon. Man, if that comes in three days, we, we're going to have some problems. I work in logistics. I manage a, a trucking terminal, actually just down the road from us here. And one of the things right now in our industry is that everything, thanks to Amazon, not that I'm grumbling, but thanks to Amazon, everything is expected to be there next day. Like if, if somebody orders a pallet from us, we pick it up that day, they are on it by 9 o'clock in the morning. And we have to explain to them, well, It'll be there today. However, our drivers haven't even left the building yet. We still have to load that onto another truck. Everything in life right now is instant. One of my favorite foods, going back to foods, one of my favorite foods, and I think that I could probably live off this for every single day, is barbecue of any kind. If, you, if, ugh, if I could learn how to make brisket perfectly, I would eat brisket for every single meal. I would die quickly, but I would eat brisket for every single meal. One of the great things about barbecue is that, you know, if, if you really get into barbecue, you put that on a smoker and you can just check that every now and then. You get to enjoy seeing it cooking, things like that. It really teaches you to be patient with it. A good brisket can take up to, you know, 10 hours, 10 to 12 hours to cook. But you have to constantly watch it and things like that. However, in our, our current society, our current life, you can also go down to McDonald's and get a McRib. If you want that instant satisfaction, not even satisfaction, if you want that instant barbecue, you can go down there and get it. It's not even meat, but you can still feel like you're, you're having meat. However, barbecue, if you really want a good barbecue, you have to take the time to put, it in, put the time into it to get it right. Personal holiness is not instant. It's not something that we hear Bryce preach about on a Sunday morning and have it perfected by Monday. It's just not going to happen that way. Although we often, we very often, our sin nature just creeps back up, we very often think the exact opposite. We think that if we haven't mastered this by now, we're just doing something wrong. For example, let's look at the qualifications of an elder. We see in 1 Timothy 3, 6, and 7, he must not be a recent convert. So again, he must not be a recent convert. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So elders are not to be what? Yes, new converts. 
This isn't because there's just, just a long line of godly men. There might be, but there's not because there's just a long line of godly men that are ready to be elders. It's not like a take, your, take a number type thing. It's not like whenever we meet in an elders meeting, we're like, okay, who had number four again? Okay, because we got to call him up before we call up number 43. That's not how it works. It's because... No matter what the talent or the gifts, a man needs time to mature and show themselves to be of good character and knowledge because it's a lifelong pursuit. As you can see in those verses, you don't want a man to be an elder that is a recent convert because, it, one, it can puff you up. It can make you very proud in yourself, not in the things of the Lord and being the under-shepherd that we're called to be. It can also make you conceited. It can also make you fall into condemnation of the devil. So you can fall into some very deep schemes and very bad things if you're puffed up, conceited, and an elder. You can also see that they need to be well thought of by outsiders. So you can have that first initial, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, first impressions. You can have those good first impressions with people but then you can have the second impressions and realize your first impressions were not good. And so what you don't call up somebody to be an elder that's not thought of well by outsiders, that means a lifelong view from outsiders of this person. Any questions, any of that so far? I'm going kind of fast because I usually have three to four pages of notes to get me through 45 minutes. I've got six pages, so we've got some time. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Mike's comment was, if you like McRib, we need to take you to Mission Barbecue because you'll love Mission Barbecue. All right, so maturity and wisdom comes with time. We see in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4, but brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and I follow, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What we see in that passage is that Paul was upset with the Corinthians for not actively taking part in their growth as believers in Christ. He came to them, shared the gospel with them, stayed with them, gave them that milk that they needed to start to grow. Then he left, went on his next journeys, and then now he's hearing of all this strife that's coming up inside the Corinthian church. Just as a side note, I remember listening to Al Mohler one time talking about going to a, a church, and he went to it, and it was the, like, the Corinthian Baptist Church. And he goes, I got behind that pulpit, and I just want to be like, guys, do you, do you know? Do you understand what the Corinthian church was? So Paul hears these things that are going on in the Corinthian church, and he realizes that they're, they're not growing. They should be on stake by now, but right now they're still being fed milk, and he still has to feed them milk. So you can read his frustration in this uh, text, and actually all of 1 Corinthians, and the fact that he has to continually feed them this milk. They're not maturing. They're not growing. They're not taking an active part in their personal holiness. So what does personal holiness look like? First off, personal holiness is disciplined. 
Personal holiness is one of my favorite subjects, probably second only to church history, because of this idea of discipline. I was in the army for five years, and often when parents especially find out that I was in the army, they want me to talk to their, you know, their sons that are looking about going to the army. One of the first things I always tell these young men, if they're honestly looking to the army, they, they, their first question is always, what can I expect? And I always tell them, I don't, basic training, your advanced training, none of that stuff. I mean, you'll get, you have no choice but to get through that. So you don't need to worry about that. So the thing that's going to shock you the most is the fact that you're not going into a job. You're not going into a life. Or I'm sorry, you're not going into a career. You are going into a life. Everything about the army is going to take over your life, and it's by design. If you're not at war, you're preparing to go to a war. If you're not out in the field preparing to go to this war, you're in a classroom learning more about your enemy. If you're not in a classroom learning more about your enemy, you're cleaning your equipment so that if you're called up to go to the war, you're ready to go at a moment's notice. If you're not cleaning, then you're training your body. You're continually out doing PT. You're doing things that will get you ready for the fight. Everything about the army is designed for discipline. And that's kind of the same mindset that we need to have with personal holiness. Being a Christian is not just a job. It's not something that we clock out of as soon as we leave these doors at 1130. It, it's your life. It is life. So, how are we actually disciplined into personal holiness? What part, what does that look like? We can say, yeah, personal holiness is discipline, but I don't want to just leave it there. I want, I want you to be able to leave this place and be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So what exactly is discipline and personal holiness? The first thing is that we practice the spiritual disciplines. And so that begs the next question. What are the spiritual disciplines? Donald Whitney it's one of these books. I like to recommend books during Sunday school classes, so I'm going to be holding up a few. But um, Donald Whitney has the books uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. It's a really good book. He goes over all the spiritual disciplines, but he describes it in this way. The spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Christ. So it's much like, you can think of it this way, spiritual disciplines, if you're going to be good at guitar, you're going to be good at basketball, you're going to be good at anything you want to do in your life, it's going to take practice. You continually practice this thing. You think of whatever your feelings of the man are, besides the point, if you think of like a LeBron James, he didn't get to be one of the best basketball players by perfecting his three-pointer and then just stopping. He still practices today, even though he's at the top of his game and close to retirement. Even after that, from what I understand, Michael Jordan still practices. He still goes and plays the game. Spiritual disciplines can be looked at in that same way. It's what we practice in our life to get us closer to the Lord, to understand what obedience to the Lord is. So examples of personal holiness, we, can, we should be reading your Bible. God was gracious to us by revealing himself to us. He didn't have to. He could have been like that clockmaker God you hear about that creates the clock, does all the little intricacies inside of it, makes this entire clock, makes the casing, puts it up on his mantle, and then just sits in his easy chair and just watches the clock. That's not the God that we serve. He chose to reveal himself to us. Instead, he revealed himself and inspired 
men to write down what we should know about him and about his creation and about our lives in the Bible. So we need to read it and we need to read it often. We see in Joshua 1.8, the book of the law should not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. A second way that we practice spiritual disciplines is what we just went over for the last quarter. That's prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always, praying without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We spent the entire last quarter of the year talking about prayer. I don't know about any of you, but I, I benefited tremendously from that. Of all the spiritual disciplines, I would say that this one is probably the one that often smacks me in the face. Is like something I need to work on harder. It's also not something I know that I will ever perfect. However, I know that if I'm having a bad day, and I know that I'm kind of in that funk that we all often fall into, I can almost always trace it back to the fact that I only did that quick flare prayer in the morning. I did not spend the time with the Lord that I, I need to sustain my life, let alone take me through that day. We can also practice spirit, or personal holiness and spiritual disciplines through worship. We see in Isaiah 12:5, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done glorious, gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. So I'm not, it's going to surprise some of you, but based off of how many I have, but I'm not really a kid person. I... I kind of attribute that to the fact that I was in the army for five years. I went five years of literally not seeing a child, like not at all to normal life. And even then, you know, there's no interaction with children. How I love my children. I love that you have children. I love my children. And one of the true joys, and it shocked me how much I love this, just based off my personality and, and all that. But one of the true joys in my life is driving with my car or in my car with my kids and putting on worship music and hearing them just belt it out in the backseat. Jeremy absolutely loves the song Holy, Holy, Holy. And there's a version by a, a band called Ghost Ship. Ghost Ship, I slurred that one. So there's Holy, Holy, Holy by them. It's kind of a more upbeat version of it, and that boy will just belt it in that backseat. It's, it's amazing to hear him sing that. All of my children really love that song, God is for us. Um, I'll turn that on and all four of them will sing it in the back seat. And I, I, me and Jess will just stand there or sit there and smile at each other while they're singing. It's, just, it's a joy to hear your kids singing, even if they don't know that they're singing praises to the Lord. It's a joy to see them practicing that spiritual discipline before they even know what it is of just worshiping the Lord. So if I get that much joy out of hearing my kids sing those songs, how much joy do you think the Lord gets from hearing us truly from our heart sing praises to him on a Sunday morning? We don't just have to do it on a Sunday morning. We can sing praises to him anytime we want to. I'm sure a lot of you have that drive to work. You can use that drive to work for prayer. You can use that drive to work to listen to the Bible. You can use that drive to work to sing praises to the Lord. You can practice these, these spiritual disciplines in that 15-minute drive to work. We can also actively disciple and be discipled by others. We can look to Paul as an example of this. Paul is never alone when we read it. 
He doesn't like to go rogue. He never goes rogue and tries to do, or, and he never tries to do it all on his own. What we see is Paul is a man that understands and lives out the idea of discipleship. Paul starts his journey by meeting Ananias, kind of forcibly. He's, he's blinded on the road to Damascus. Ananias is told to go find him. He meets Ananias, hears the gospel, scales are lifted. But then we also see that he uh, eventually makes his way to Jerusalem. And when he's in Jerusalem, he's trying to preach the gospel and everyone's terrified of him because this is, this is Saul that's been persecuting the church all the way up to this point. So then Barnabas comes alongside Paul and starts to get to know Paul a little bit more, actually vouches for him to the apostles so he can get into the church and explain to him who he is now compared to who he was before. And then he gets sent out to Arabia, and we can kind of, there's not a lot of information on what happens to Paul in Arabia, but we can take a pretty educated guess and assuming that he was discipled by quite a few people in Arabia to get him to the point where he comes back onto the picture, and he is just grabbing man after man to come alongside him to preach the gospel. And it's not an easy discipleship that Paul practices. This is a, hey, I'm going to go over most of the known world for a little bit. Let's, let's go. And he grabs him and goes. We need, to be, we need to be a church. We need to be a people that loves discipling. That is a, a great way that we can practice these spiritual disciplines. The last one I have down here, and this is obviously not an exhaustive list, but we need to be continually growing. We should not be content with just being stagnant in what we know. So how many of you, again, second, second group participation, if you want to throw out an example, great. But how many of you have ever read a passage in the past month or year, and you come back to that passage, and you see something completely different in that text? Does anybody have an example of that? Mike? Mm-hmm. So my example of this is my, my favorite book of the Bible is Titus. I just love, I'm, I'm not the strongest reader. I like to read, but I'm not the strongest reader. So Titus being just three chapters in very, this is how you live your life type of chapters. I go back to it all the time. In between, I like to do like books of the Bible while I'm doing my quiet time. If I'm kind of stuck on what book I'm going on to next, I always end up in Titus during that in-between time. And uh, there's a, a text in Titus where it talks about bond servants and how they're supposed to live. And it says that they live this way so that they can adorn the gospel. As many times as I've gone back to Titus and read over that over and over and over again, I always read that and it's like, oh, okay, they get to adorn the gospel. And I, in my mind, I think that I understand what the definition of adorn is. And it's just kind of like you adorn the wall with a picture. So you, put, you hang the you picture on the wall. I didn't really think about it. But the word adorn actually means to make it look more beautiful. So we live our lives in the way that we're called to do so, so that we can adorn the gospel. The Lord is allowing us to take part in being a part of the gospel and making the gospel more beautiful for those around us. And the second I read that, it completely changed almost the entire book of Titus for me. 
So we should never be content in where we are and what we know. Another example that I have is uh, myself and Bryce and David Adams and uh, Jeff Snyder all went to the Basics Conference. Surprise, surprise, uh, Alistair Begg's conference. We all went to his conference, and there was a gentleman named Herschel York. If you've never heard anything by Herschel York, I would really suggest you find some things on Herschel York. He's an outstanding preacher. He's very down-to-earth and very deep in his uh, understanding of the text and all that kind of stuff. He teaches out at Southern. But he also has a church in the most, the, the most Kentucky-named church that I've ever heard, and it's Buck Run Baptist Church. It's like that, yes. I want to go to Buck Run Baptist Church for a little bit. But Herschel York has given a sermon. He gave a sermon on the thorn in the, fre- the flesh. And, you know, it's, it's a common text. All of us have probably heard probably multiple sermons about the thorn in the flesh. Probably heard multiple classes on the thorn in the flesh. And I can remember sitting through that, and it was such a deep and just heavy sermon. And the way that he preached that sermon, like, he dismissed, and then we had a like a 20-minute break after that, and it took like five minutes for anybody to even get up out of their seat. And I remember walking with Bryce, and we walk out of the auditorium, we were going down, they have a bunch of books to set up, and we were going down to look at some of the books, and I looked at Bryce, I was like, I've heard that text, I've read that text so many times, I have never heard it preached like that. The way that the examples he gave, just the way that he took the text and everything he built around it, it's the same text, but it, it's just another rich way of looking at the text. So all that to say, we should never be content with where we are in our understanding about the, the Lord and the Bible. The depths and the riches of the, the Word of God is unparalleled by any other book, and we should be excited by the privilege of going to it daily. We see in Hebrews four twelve through 13, for the, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged short, sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from it, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. We also see in 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I have a couple other texts there, but I'm going to skip them. So all that to say, we should never be content with where we are in our understanding of the Lord, which should also shock us to our very core that we could spend all of our life and all of our eternity, honestly, and never even crack the surface of who God is. So the next question is, how, how do we get there? How do we get to personal holiness? We went over the spiritual disciplines, we went over all these things, but how do we get to personal holiness? The first one, again, not an exhaustive list, but the first one is, you've already checked this box, come to church. We worship together, we pray with, for and with one another. We get fed the word lovingly by Bryce or whoever's behind that pulpit. And we get fed in Sunday schools. That's one great way of starting down this path of personal holiness. We cannot be, Bryce said this in a sermon one time, I don't even remember the context, but he one time said, there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. And the problem with trying to be a Lone Ranger Christian is that the Lone Ranger always gets shot. 
So we need to be one anothering with one another. We need to be a part of the church. I'm going to do a little shameless plug caveat. I already did it this morning, but also join a small group. We're a church, we're a medium-sized church. It's hard to get to know everybody in this church. That doesn't mean you don't try. I'm an introvert. Just every single week lovingly looks at me and goes, so did you talk to anybody new? Because she knows I will instantly go to like the five or six guys that I know and I know well, and I'll just spend my time talking to them because I'm an introvert. I have to push my way out. So because we're a medium-sized church, it's hard to get to really know one another. A great way of really diving into a community in a deep way is through small groups. A great example of this is actually Caleb Patton there. Me and Caleb have been in the same church for going on a decade. I really didn't get to know. I knew him. We had conversations. We, you know, friendly. There's nothing bad there. However, I really didn't get to know Caleb until probably this last year, year and a half. They joined our small group. We really started doing some life on life together. We really got to know each other. He's been helping with uh, the men's ministry with me. So, but the way that that, that relationships really started and really started to blossom was through small group. It, it forced us to be with each other every single Tuesday. And with that also, it forced us to share our heart and the things that we're struggling with through things like prayer requests and just discipling one another and things like that. So join a small group. Another way that we can really start down this road of personal holiness, I've titled it, Meet Some Gray Hairs, or I guess No Hairs. There's a lot, I mean, when I do announcements on Sunday mornings, I look out over the crowd, there's a lot, a lot of loving knowledge sitting out in this auditorium. And I know that there's also a lot of, of young men and young women in this auditorium as well that would love to grow in the Lord. So if you're one of the young men or women that wants to grow in the Lord, start reaching out to some gray hair. I know it can be really awkward. It can be really awkward to come up and be like, hey, I really need to grow in the Lord. Will you, will you help me grow in the Lord? It can be awkward to do that. If you feel that you're too introverted or you're too nervous to do that, come find one of us elders. Come find Caleb. Come find almost anybody in this room. We'll point you in the right direction. Or we can, if we have that time, we can come alongside you and really disciple you too. So find some gray hairs. And then the final one as far as practicing this personal holiness is always be in the word and prayer and practice these spiritual disciplines. It's one thing to sit through a 45-minute class on personal holiness and spiritual disciplines. You have the knowledge of it now. What do you do with it? You need to start practicing it. If, you, if you're not, if you don't have that, that quiet time right now, you don't have that discipline of... Um, having that spot in your house or having that time in the day that you have set aside for prayer and studying of the word, I'm going to be honest with you, it's going to be hard for the first couple of weeks because you have to get into that practice. You have to get into that schedule of being in the word daily until the point will eventually come where if you miss that time, you feel it. You feel it through the rest of your day. Everything else is off. It's kind of like coming to church. I can remember last year, Jess and I had a stint of, I think it was two or three weeks where we were at mom and dad's church for one, I think it was dad's first sermon back from COVID. So we went to that. And then the next week we had a vacation plan. And the next week after that, I think one of the kids got sick. So we didn't, couldn't come to church. By week four, I was like in a fog, like just being out of the body for that long. Like I didn't know what day of the week it was, let alone what I was doing for the day. 
It just it should shake you. So practice those spiritual disciplines. And again, I'm going to go back to this. I don't want any of you to walk away from this class with a false understanding of personal holiness and spiritual disciplines. We, we don't do them out of an obligation or to, or to earn our way into looking good. You can have all of these spiritual disciplines just locked down. You can have a doctorate in biblical theology. You can pray 10 times a day and read your Bible for eight hours a day, and you could actually have written books, let alone read them on these topics. But if you do these things out of an obligation or pride, if you do them to check a box, or if you do them to earn your goodness and favor with God, then you're doing them for the wrong reasons, and you are in a very dangerous place. We practice personal holiness because... We love our Savior. That's why we do it. We do it out of a genuine love for the Savior. We practice spiritual disciplines because we want to know and love our Savior more and more with each passing breath. There's an old song that, I mean, I think the last time that I listened to it was when I was nine years old, probably. I was about Reagan's age. And it was a song. My dad went to Bob Jones University, and there's a gentleman there that I can't remember his actual name, but he's known as Patch the Pirate. He had got cancer behind one of his eyes, had to have his eye removed, and so he had a patch. And he felt this, this need in this ministry to minister to children. And so he came up with this ministry. It's the Patch the Pirate Ministries, and they would do, I mean, he started when it was records, and he would, it was just stories. It's kind of like Adventures in Odyssey, only stories that are like deeply focused on the Lord and the Word. And one of the songs that I can remember listening to over and over and over again, I think that it was out of my choice. Looking back, it was probably out of my parents' choice, but it was called Obedience. And it spells out obedience as O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. And the chorus is, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. And then it goes in, like, one of the choruses, I want to live pure, I want to live clean, I want to do my best. And it just goes through all these things, but it always ends with, we're not checking this box of legalism. What it is, it's obedience because we love the Lord. That's what we should be practicing personal holiness and spiritual disciplines for. Not for that box of legalism. That box of legalism is a very dangerous box to find yourself in. The box of loving the Lord because he has saved you from the man and the woman that you once were, brought him to yourself out of just complete grace. That is the reason we practice these things. Are there any questions? Yes. Mm-hmm. So the question is, what would you say to the person that's stuck? If they, they know all these things, they've been through these classes, they've you know, read the books on it, all that kind of stuff, but they're still stuck and not having, I guess, that, that joy, or I don't want to say joy, but they're stuck and how do they, how do they take a joy in it? Um, I don't know if there's a, an easy magic bullet for it, I'm a big fan of making sure that we don't go to those people and um, try to gloss over it, 
Like, cause if they're in that, that funk where it's, it's really weighing on them, then it is an issue. So we don't want to just gloss over that and act like it's not there. And, oh, you just need to keep reading your word. But the answer is you need to keep reading your word. You need to keep praying. You need to pray that the Lord would also bring a joy into your heart for it. Because a lot of the times, if we're in that funk where we don't feel like we're growing, we don't feel like we're taking joy in it, we're not growing from this, a lot of the root of that fruit is the fact that we're still relying on ourselves for this. We still want to have some kind of control over how we grow in this. It's not the cause every single time, but diving into what the root of that that problem is is one of the big points. But... um, a lot of the times what will happen when you fall into that funk is that you just stop, and you can't, you can't just stop. So encouraging that person to continue to, to read, to pray, to practice these spiritual disciplines, but also helping them understand maybe where that breakdown is, like coming disciple them, come alongside them to um, understand where that root is of the issue. Does that help at all? Or Kelly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So focusing on God's love for those that are listening to the recording, focusing on God's love for them, not just that you love God. Darren. Mm-hmm. I would say the first couple of maybe years yeah. is going to be hard. Yeah. But even if you're doing things as a check the box, especially these spiritual disciplines, it is a place to start. Mm-hmm. says about them, and they walked in the ways of the Lord like their father so-and-so, but they did not tear down the high places. Mm -hmm. They were were, uh, praised for walking in the ways of God, but there's always this but. So, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I don't don't think you're wrong in that. I think... um, I think it was Tommy Nelson was talking one time about that, that funk that you fall into and having that discipline behind your life. And he basically said that, you know, it's, it's real easy, real easy to walk with the Lord when you're on the mountaintop. But it's when you're in the valley that it becomes a necessity 
to practice these disciplines in the mountaintop. Because when, when you're in the valley, it's easy to feel forgotten. It's easy to feel kind of moping about your situation. It's easy to feel the pain of your situation. And if you don't practice the disciplines on the mountain, you're not going to have that muscle memory once you're in the valley. If you don't have that muscle memory, you're not going to go to it. Our sin nature is just going to be too strong for us to fight back. So you have to have that muscle memory in the valley that you've already learned in the good times. That's kind of like what I was saying with the, um, with um, like missing church, like it, it threw everything off because we had that muscle memory. Like, yeah, it's, it's not something that we rely on for our personal holiness. Like it is, that might not have been the right way to say that, but it, it helps us along our path. That's why the Lord hasn't called us home to this point. Like we need to be with other believers so that we can have that rejuvenating time of worship on Sunday morning. So when we leave, I mean, the second you walk out of those glass doors, you're in the enemy territory. You're in the enemy territory sometimes in these glass doors. But we need to be with one another so we can grow. And the same thing with the, with the Word. Like you need to have that continually in your life so you can grow. Because in the Christian life, you're either in a trial or you're preparing to go through a trial. There's no in-between. So having that muscle memory at all times is, is vitally necessary. So we're out of time. I'm gonna, if you have any questions, feel free to come grab me. I have no problem with that, but we're just out of time. There's people hanging out in the foyer. Um, on the back side of your notes, I'm going to try to have a homework for you every single week. This is not something that's like trying to you. The, the goal behind the homeworks is like maybe one quiet time, tack it on to the end of your quiet time. As, I'm write, as I was writing this, that's one of the reasons I put that caveat down at the very end about you know, legalism and doing this out of the right heart and things like that. What I, I designed this homework to be, because I try to do this to myself quite a bit too, is just evaluating your spiritual disciplines. Uh, so the first question is review and write down a way that you have grown in personal holiness this year. It's often easy for us to get into that funk of just seeing our faults and the bad things going on in our lives. It's also important to see how the Lord has grown you as well. So just reflect back. Take joy in the way, that, in the way of your life in the Lord for the last year too. And then it just goes through and you'll reflect on um, how you're doing your quiet time diagram it. Make sure you have some kind of pattern behind it. I think that's important. It's not necessary, but it's also very important. Um, just recently, I completely redid my quiet time. I read a book. I can't remember the title of it now, but I read a book, and it was about your quiet time. Um, time, time well spent is what it's called, time well spent. And it, he talked about how he did his quiet time. I was like, oh, that sounds actually really good. And since I've kind of adapted my quiet time, I've felt, you know, that's that time of growth and things like that. I'll have to do it again probably within the next couple of years just to to – to come up with a new way of doing it. But so just go through that. I might bring it back next week. I might ask for volunteers. I'm not going to call anybody out to do this. This is all kind of personal stuff. But if you feel comfortable and maybe throwing out an answer or two, we'll, we'll review this next week and go from there.